everybody, and welcome back to the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. As always, this is Dan. I know it's been a while. It's been about a week or so, but we're back here kicking ass. This is Dan, like I said, or Dan the Beast 94 on YouTube. Check me out. And uh, joining me here this evening, former ROH and TNA superstar, Jimmy Rave. Man, what the fuck's going on, man? How you doing? Just living life right now, man. I hear you. Listen, um, I know with the whole COVID situation and everything, um, first of all, how have you been adjusting with life? But not only with that, but I know recently, a couple months ago, uh, you recently just had your left arm uh, amputated. Uh, what caused that injury to get infected? It, was it just something that you just held off for a recent amount of time? Or was it just like nagging injuries that you just never got bothered to get checked out with? No, I, um, yeah, uh, that was kind of it. Like I, I was working in the yard and I got a cut and, uh, it was just red for months. You know what I mean? Like right. and I just put topical ointments on it and then it got real bad and, uh, like really painful. And then finally I went to the hospital. Like I had seen some people online say that I refused to get surgery or something like that. Which was never the case, you know what I mean? Like I didn't, I didn't know anything was really going wrong. So then, uh, so then, yeah, I went there. They were like, "Oh, this is too bad," and it was like right, right at my elbow. Okay, you know what I mean? So like, uh, so it was just um, too much uh, of the muscle had deteriorated underneath the skin, and so they're like, "Yo, we gotta." We got to take this because if we did like skin grafts, it would take years for you to go through all that, you know? So throughout that whole duration, was there any chances of possibly saving your arm, but, you know, just going through the chances of just taking some strong antibiotics or. They, they put me right on antibiotics and, uh, you know, like, cause they were afraid the infection, like the infection got in my bloodstream. So they were trying to keep it from getting to my heart. And so uh, it it was just too bad of an infection by then. So, you know, they you know, we uh we talked about it, and I you know, I didn't want to be going through surgeries for like five years. You know, like getting skin grafts and stuff. Was, uh you know the doctors was telling me like it was super painful, and so um so yeah, he was just like, you know, I spoke to a surgeon, an orthopedic guy, a vascular surgeon. And they were all like, this was probably going to be the best bet. So I just now, listened to what they said. Now, now during that duration of time um, last year, did you happen to wrestle at all any time last year? And was there any signs of like, like, oh, you know, like my arm's kind of getting uh, messed up here. So No, there wasn't any signs. Uh, I wrestled, I think the last show I did was in December was a uh, cage of death for CZW and I was fine. Everything seemed fine. I mean, it was still, still aching, you know what I mean? But like, it wasn't, it wasn't a hindrance or anything like that. Right. Now going through this thought process, you know, a lot of people would think, Hey, your career's over. Even yourself would sit there and say, Hey, my career's over. I'm fucked. You know, I can't do this anymore. I have to retire. But I mean, not saying, I mean, hopefully maybe there's a chance, but, you know, you got to really look at guys back in the day like 
you know, I'm sure you remember Zach Gowan um, mm-hmm. when he came to WWE and he had the one leg and the amputated leg, um, and he had you know the uh, the peg leg and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not wrestling, but have you ever considered that role of maybe possibly going through like the process of becoming a manager? Um, well, I know. So like Zach and I have been friends. I you know like I was there his first night at TNA. I actually spoke to Zach before I released my statement. He was he was the first person I called. Um, and so, um, you know, like this last. So in 2010, 2011, I started writing TV in Georgia. Like, right. Like I was producing and writing TV and still wrestling on the shows. So the last like 10 years, I've been doing a lot of backstage stuff, like agenting, producing. Um, like, I, I've i been running the CZW training school for the last uh, almost two years now. So, uh, so I've been um, trying to position myself towards that because, you know, I'm, like, I'm coming up. This was 21 years for me uh, this past October. You know, it's been a long time. Um, but I'm relatively healthy. Like I don't have any, you know, uh, like my knees are fine. You know, like I don't have anything nagging injuries, you know? So, uh, you know, my hopes is to, you know, try to land somewhere and get like a backstage role somewhere. You know what? That, that'd be cool too. And, you know, with the new promotion, like AEW up and running, that's been going on for at least a year or so now. Um, that would definitely be a good opportunity. Um, would there ever be any considerations of maybe possibly going to like the performance center if WWE gave you that offer? Cause I know back in 2005, you did a couple matches for Sunday night heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that in particular, uh, stands out was the one with like you and Chris masters. Um, you mind talking about, you know, what was it like backstage? You know, I know a lot of people go through like the backstage politics, but what was the atmosphere like uh, with WWE as compared or different to your time with like CZW, Ring of Honor, TNA? Well, uh, you know, 2005 was just a different animal. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like right now, I mean, I have, you know, I'm very close with Sanjay Dutt. Um, Abyss and I are good friends. Um, Steve Carino and I are good friends and like, they're all, you know, producers there, you know? So, um, but like when, in 2005, it was a different animal. Like they wanted you to be six foot, 220 pounds. You know what I mean? And I was just never built like that. I was always around 185, 190. Um, so uh but like they offered me a deal uh right before i went to tna they wanted me to go to developmental and when they had deep south um but they offered me 500 dollars a week and i was making 500 dollars a night on the indies you know what i mean so it just wasn't feasible at that time and plus you know i wasn't big enough like they would have cut me you know what i mean like i wouldn't have been there for a long time but like right. when you got when uh you know like started around 2006 when like punk and uh daniel bryan got there like that kind of changed the atmosphere 
Right. And I mean, you really got to consider it, too. I mean, I don't I don't think necessarily you would have been cut off. But, you know, like SmackDown, they had their cruiserweight division at the time. And I mean, I understand where you're coming from, because back in the 2000s, you know, by the time 2001 was gone, 2002 and the rest of the years were going through. Um, it was practically a dark time because the only promotions that were up at that time were WWE and, you know, you had TNA and Ring of Honor that was practically just, you know, starting off trying to blossom, trying to, you know, bang on WWE's door like, hey, look at us, you know. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, you know, backtracking a little bit, you know, let's get started from, you know, you were born in Atlanta. Um, I, I was I actually born in Kentucky. I was a military kid, you know, like I. Like, I lived in Alaska, Hawaii, Washington State. But then, like, uh, when my stepfather retired, we ended up in Marietta, Georgia. Okay. So, growing up in Atlanta, I mean, I can only assume that you were heavily, you know, consumed with, like, WCW as, you know, WCW was more of, like, a Mid-South territory. Yeah, well, I mean, like... I didn't start watching WCW until I got to Atlanta, actually. And that was when I was, like, 13, 14. But um, the crazy story that I have is, like, um, like baseball was supposed to be my meal ticket. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I was really uh, good at. And um, I went to baseball practice maybe, like, two weeks after we had moved here. And, uh, like, I... I was at the concession stand and I turned the corner and Dusty Rhodes was standing right there. And I was like, what the hell? You know, and he, uh, Cody was, he's a few years younger than me. Um, his sister and I are the same age, but, uh, but Dusty was there coaching Cody, um, for baseball. And, um, like I went to rival high schools. Like I went to Sprayberry, uh, like Buff Bagwell came out of my school um, and then Xavier Woods later on was uh, from Springbury High School, too. He was the same age as Cody. But, uh, but yeah, so that's when I kind of got um, the bug to start training. And, like, within a year, I started training. I was, you know, like 14, 15 when I started training and, like, uh, running around on the Indies. Now, if wrestling didn't work out, were, was there any intentions of possibly you pursuing, like, a baseball career, possibly making it to, like, the MLB? Yeah, uh, you know, like, by the time I was a freshman, there was a, a good amount of schools that were, like, looking, um, that were talking to me. So, uh, but then, like, I really had this epiphany, like, you know, you're relying on a team of people, you know what I mean? Whereas, like, pro wrestling, uh, if I don't succeed, it's on me, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't matter about who's behind me, you know? Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in something that, like, if I did you know, like, if I worked hard, I can succeed at it, and it was just on me, you know? And you talked about, you know, running into Dusty Rhodes. Did you happen to ever establish a relationship with Dusty or any of his kids? Yeah, I ended up working for Dusty when he had Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling. Um, by then, I was already at um, NWA Wildside. And we, um, so I started there right at the end of 2000. And we were a WCW developmental company. 
And then when WCW closed down, Dusty had a training school right down the road for where I lived. And, um, and Glacier was, Glacier was actually a middle school PE teacher of mine. You know what I mean? Like we just had like wrestlers running all over. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, uh, I ended up wrestling for Dusty and, you know, we had a, a good relationship. Now, during your time with like NWA Wildside, um, I discovered that WCW was a developmental territory um, for that promotion. Was there any talks of maybe possibly you getting called up? Because I know around that time they had already called up guys like Elix Skipper and AJ Styles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, you know, uh, Elix Skipper, like, um, uh, Mark Jindrak, O'Hara, you know, all those guys, I saw all their first matches. They actually would go to the power plant during the day. And on Wednesday nights, there was this bar in Atlanta called Good Old Days. And that's where they had all their first matches, you know, like, you know, that's where they got in, got fine tuned. And then when Wildside got the developmental deal, they started wrestling uh, in, with us, you know. Um, and we would have. You know, guys like Bob Ryder and Jeremy Borash, who ended up, you know, working for TNA, but they were at WCW at the time. And, like, Terry Taylor was always there. Um, Finley, you know, guys like that would always be around. And, um, like, I never had... There There was one incident that happened at T, uh, when I was at Wildside and I got a I got an email from the WCW office and and it was uh they told me to stop taking unprotected chair shots. You know what I mean? Like they were because they were looking at me, but they were like, We you know, we don't wanna you know, have somebody on here that has a problem with concussions, you know? But uh they they came one night and I took took a whole bunch of unprotected chair shots and uh and yeah, like that was that was only my only run-in with them. But, like, they would call us to do extra work. Um, and, like, this will tell you how they lost all their money. Like, they would call us to do extra work, and we were getting $500 a night to do extra work or be security guards. And, like, WWE, if you, you're an extra there, it's, like, $200 right now. You know? And, like, so, like... And then if you got a match, it was another $1,000. You know what I mean? Like, they would, uh, yeah, they would pay really well. That's also how they lost like two hundred million dollars in a year. Right now, was there anybody who was on like WCW's like booking or somebody who was in charge of like bringing guys up that took favor of your interest and was like, hey, you know, we want to use you more? Um, Terry Taylor, you know what I mean, and like I, I think that was super helpful for me when I when I got to TNA. Okay, now. Um, you debuted in 1999, and a lot of people may not know this, but you were actually under a mask at first. Uh, you were known as Mr. XTC. Um, was that your idea, or was that somebody's pitch that said, hey, we want you under a mask first before we feel comfortable with you being revealed and you know, being comfortable with your own identity? Yeah, so that was um, there was a promoter called Don Lewis, and he had local tv in atlanta 
and uh and i only was doing that gimmick for him and it only lasted a few shows but like he i remember one time i was at his office and he said uh your face isn't marketable you know what i mean and uh like like i remember when i got like my first like ten thousand dollar check i took a picture of it and i said uh, you know somebody thought it was marketable and i sent it to him okay um i mean i know it was very short run but um whose decision was it for them to take the mask off you it was mine yeah i just i was just like i don't want to i don't want to do this anymore you know and uh you know i was like i was you know one of my first matches was against uh jamie noble okay and uh and I remember when I was wrestling him, I like I couldn't see anything in the mask. You know what I mean? Like it just made wrestling very difficult. And so, uh, you know, and like at the time, I was taking, I was doing more risky moves, and so like I didn't want to, you know, get hurt early on. But like you know, I w- I like when I first came up, it was still kind of the wild wild west. You know what I mean? Like. You still have guys from the 80s and early 90s that had this mentality of, uh, you know, trying to get people out of the business. And I wrestled this guy, like, in one of my first handful of matches, and he broke my arm on purpose, you know, and, you know, told me not to come back. And then, um, you know, so, like, we were, I was already having, like, problems like that like early on now was there any initial thoughts like early on in your career where you were probably like uh maybe this sport's not for me maybe i'd want to go back to pursuing baseball or maybe um a different outtake no um no i uh you know like anytime like adversity is put in in my face like i try to figure out a way to combat that with doing something positive you know what i'm saying like so uh that guy was very loyal to the the guy i was talking about don lewis so then that's when i went to wild side and like uh started uh my relationship with bill barons who ended up becoming my agent okay and um i know during your time during nwa wild side um twice uh respectively that you held the wild side and the world junior heavyweight titles um some of the matches uh that you had during your time were guys against like caprice coleman uh tony tony mama luke jason cross uh what was it like to be in the ring with you know those individuals who've had you know so much experience you know ahead of their time yeah so um like i would my first match was on tv for them was with caprice coleman like we we had a long feud and uh you know like the first year at Wildside was just like me trying to you know i i had been wrestling jason cross on the other outlaw shows before so um so he was always a good person to wrestle like he would be a like a superstar right now if he stayed in wrestling you know like he was so acrobatic and good you know he was just like aj you know like um you know he could he walked in and could do a shooting star press his first day of training you know what i mean like those kind of guys 
But like when Mamalu got there, um, that was super helpful for me because I got programmed with Mamaluk and we ended up wrestling each other everywhere, CZW, Ring of Honor, everywhere. And he taught me how to be um like a technical wrestler. And that's in that ended up being something that was super helpful for me. And uh my relationship with him was like um like super good. And so he he was the thing that helped me get out of Georgia. Like, cause a lot of guys got stuck in Georgia. There's so many good guys that were at Wildside. Like Slim J was awesome. Like I said, Jason Cross. There were so many good guys that down there that never got a look. And uh and Mama Luke wouldn't let me just sit around and be there. He like he took me on the road with him and everything. And um, you know, he uh you know, he was a Malenko student, and uh, I also wrestled Jeremy Lopez, who was another Malenko student. And those guys, you know, being from Malenko school, and Jamie Noble was from with, they were all the three guys from Malenko school that I ended up being friends with and wrestling a lot. And, um, and like, you know, because Malenko is such a technical wrestler and ended up helping me so much. Now, you talked about Mama Luke. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about ECW. Did you ever have a match inside the original ECW arena? Because a couple weeks back, um, I had Chris Harris on the show, and he had a match in 2001 against Mr. Perfect. Uh, anywhere during your tenure um, in the independence, did you have a chance or an opportunity to wrestle in the ECW arena? All the time. Um, when I started at CCW, we we were the company that ran the ECW arena. And so like every month I was in the ECW arena from like 2002 until 2004, like every month. And, uh, and then when I was in ring of honor, we did our tapings at the arena too. And, um, and then, um, you know, uh, CZW, when I first started working backstage there, we ran the ECW arena like two years ago. And so, yeah, I've gotten to be there a lot. Okay. And uh, you, you brought up AJ Styles a little bit earlier. Um, somebody that you had countless matches with, whether it was in Wildside, CZW, uh, Ring of Honor, TNA. Um, I know back in Ring of Honor, you had this thing where you were known to steal other people's finishing moves. Mm-hmm. You actually had a move called uh, the Rave Clash, which was your style, um, your version of the Styles Clash. Um, and then I'm not sure if this is true or not, but you also had another finisher um, after the whole stipulation match between you and AJ, which if one of you lost, you would have to stop using that move. Um, later on, you would end up getting a move called Greetings from Ghana which was basically uh, Triple H's pedigree, or your version of the pedigree, sort of say. Um, would you necessarily say that was kind of a shot, or maybe like, you know, ringing a doorbell on WWE's door, like, hey, hello, you know, Ring of Honor here, so check us out. No, it, it was, um, what happened was, is like, after I, like, I was coming up on losing the Styles Clash, um, like, I knew that match was coming up, and I was like, man, what am I going to do for a finish? And then um, Ricky Steamboat cut a promo in Philadelphia, and he and he was putting over Triple H, just you know, talking about how knowledgeable he is, and everybody just 
went nuts and like started booing. And I was like, oh, well, now I know what my finish is going to be because I, you know, because I was a heel. And so I, like, any time I could pick up on something like that, I'd grab it, you know? There you go. It wasn't, it wasn't like a shot at him or nothing, you know? Like, it was, it was more, uh, it was more just for my character, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it just made a lot of sense for what I was doing. Now, was there anybody in the back at that time who ever pitched, like, a finish to you? Like, hey, maybe you should start using this move more often? No, um, you know, like, back in, back in those days, like, Ring of Honor was, uh, such a good place to be, and, uh, and, like, nobody really, like, everybody kind of got what everybody else was doing, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. we were so in tune with the product because we were, we were trying to push this product, you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, when, when I went back to Ring of Honor and, like, 2011 or 2013 it wasn't the same thing you know what i mean like there was this real um vibe of everybody putting the company on their back and we wanted it all to succeed so everybody like you know a when i when i um am working as an agent i'll give you an example like i watched aew dark uh this week and they like like Brian Cage, uh, he did the uh, power, like the multiple power bombs. You know what yeah. I mean? And then um, a few matches later, uh, Ten from the Dark Order did the same kind of power bomb. You know what I mean? Picks the guy up the ground and slams him, just like Brian did two matches ago. You know? So I like I'm very in tune with continuity, and so like. Whenever I am producing backstage, I try to tell people, hey, watch everything that's going on. And I learned that from Brian Danielson. Like, we would watch the whole show um, for multiple reasons. Like, I didn't want to duplicate something that was already happening on the show. But I also wanted to figure out what kind of audience it was. You know what I mean? Like, we had a, we really wrestled differently than when we were in New York City or or Dayton, Ohio. You know what I mean? The fans were real different. And so that's something I've learned over the years of how to wrestle in front of different crowds. Now, how is it like facing Brian Danielson? Because I know sometime in Ring of Honor, uh, at the fourth anniversary show, you end up getting an opportunity for the ROH World title against Brian Danielson. How is his style like uh, back in the day compared to um, how he practically wrestles nowadays? And do you think... Um, do you think he'll retire this year? I, I know he's on like a short-term contract. I know this is like the final, like after this contract, he's finished. Um, would you see him as like a good um, trainer for like the performance center or just an all-around performer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, he's got one of the best minds for wrestling. Like he's a genius, you know what I mean? Like um, that match was so... Um, we didn't get to put together the match because Jack Evans flight was late and we just went out there and wrestled and we ended up wrestling for like 40 minutes and it was, you know, it was, it's one of my favorite matches and I've wrestled him multiple times, but like, it was like, I, I kind of came up with the finish where he was doing the elbows at the time. 
And I was right. like, hey, do you mind if instead of me tapping out, if I pass out in it? And it was the first time we did that at Ring of Honor. And um, when I went to TNA and came back, he was like, I, I wrestled him in one of my first matches back. And he goes, uh, keep in mind that you didn't lose to me. Like, you didn't tap out and you didn't get pinned. Mm. Like, so when we wrestled again, we did the same kind of finish. And so he was so mindful of how we would, what we would do. You know what I mean? Um, and he, like, he's a genius like that. And like, um, I don't think he would want to be a trainer. I think he would rather be like a producer or something like that. Um, just because he used to train at the ring of honor school. And like, I just, I like, we wrote, we were, um, riding partners for about three years in ring of honor like at, before i even wrestled him like we were just always together and uh you know late later on when i left the embassy and i was doing um the hill hook and the house of the rising sun he was the one that uh we were in his car one day and he and that song came on he goes you need to use this song and like uh and then he showed me how to do the heel hook. Like, he was real influential in my, my career. And then later when I was um, writing TV in Atlanta and he got in trouble for uh, choking uh, Justin Roberts, like, he, I brought him into Atlanta TV and he he didn't charge me an arm and a leg. He, he gave me a fair price. Like, and I knew what he was getting other places, you know. And so, uh, you know, like, I just had a good relationship with him and I, I just know how smart he is. And like, um, so wrestling him was always a breeze and we tagged together a lot in Florida for FIP. And so, um, you know, like he's real smart. Like he, he's another person that, um, you know, if he needs to have like a Tokyo dome style match, he can do it. But like, if he wants to do like, funny type matches he can do that too you know what i mean he, super entertaining guy and so um you know i and like i i know when right before he signed with wwe he was talking about quitting you know he was he goes i'm i'm gonna go to um thailand and do muay thai for a year and not and not wrestle and i think i'm done with it and then he got the deal with wwe and like stuck around so um so i know he has that you know that want to like kind of chill out you know I, I mean like we started the same month you know he he started in october 99 and so did i and so um you know but you know he he's putting on a lot of work you know what i mean right and um you know, speaking about that whole Justin Roberts incident, um, during that time, I'm not sure if he had any conversation with him during that incident, but was there any time where he showed grief where it was like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have never done that. But at the same time, you know, we had Heath Slater on the show about a month ago, and he was just, you know, he was talking about like the whole incident on how Vince was just like, don't touch the cameras and, you know, just don't touch the fans. Mm -hmm. And that's it. There was no yep. indication of like, hey, you know, you can't attack Justin Roberts because he wasn't informed on that. Right. So during that time, 
Uh, was there any like consideration? Obviously, he got he got called back about like a month or two later uh, yeah. when he returned at SummerSlam. But was there any consideration of um, possibly um, bringing him back to Ring of Honor? Was there any talks? Were you around at that time? He knew he was going back right away. So like he, you know, he wasn't worried about it. You know what I mean? Like right. he uh, he did like that month of indies, and then went right back. You know what I mean? Like and uh, like he did. He did a show for me. He did uh, Pro Wrestling Gorilla. He might he might have done one Ring of Honor show. But, you know, like, he he knew he was going back, so he wasn't, he wasn't worried about it, you know? Now, getting back to you, um, you debuted for Ring of Honor in 2003. You were known as the Crown Jewel of the Embassy. Uh, what was it like being under the wing of uh, Prince Nana? It you know it was always interesting like uh, you know I I love Prince Nana he's he's such a character you know what I mean but like uh, you know when it came to the in ring stuff like you know uh, it was mostly like you know who I was wrestling and my ideas and uh, and Nana and I are still close and uh, you know he's he's just a good dude yeah and I know further down the line you know. During your time in Ring of Honor, you know, you were practically one of the top heels down there. Um, and I know in 2006, um, back in that time, you know, fans were throwing streamers and everything. Um, but during your time, you know, making your entrance, you know, making your well-known recognition, fans were throwing in toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And I guess there was an incident in 2006 where Ring of Honor stopped the use of having fans throwing in toilet paper um because you were you almost tried to attack a fan what was the story behind all that do you re, uh, recall that story yeah yeah and um that was just a storyline what it, what actually happened was we were um you know i would throw the toilet paper back at people right like when they throw it into me i'd throw it back and then like when me and alex shelley and abyss were around they'd throw it back too you know what i mean and uh what happened was we were in England and like they they threw so much toilet paper it was insane and uh so I'm throwing it back and then I just hear a bunch of booing, you know what I mean? And the like when when you're in the ring, you can't really see out there because of the lights, you know? And apparently like I hit a little girl that was standing on a chair and she fell off the chair. And, like, that's when they were like, all right, we got to stop doing this. But, like, you know, um, that was, you know, like, that was the only reason. We did the fan thing to kind of give a reason to stop doing it uh, a few shows later. Now, you ended up leaving Ring of Honor um, in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um was that because you had gotten offered a deal with uh, TNA, or I know you did have some um, substance abuse with, uh, not going to say, because obviously this is your own private life, but obviously he, you had some problems um, with drugs during your time. Yeah. So what, what ended up happening is uh, I was wrestling Samoa Joe, and... Uh, he kicked me in the jaw and broke my jaw. And, uh, and I had just left my real job, you know what I mean? And so like wrestling is now my only source of income. And I had this big match with Nigel 
that we were going to do in England. And so I ended up wrestling with my jaw broken for five weeks, you know, and like every night, like somebody would hit me in the jaw and like, it would just swell up. I mean, I used to have a picture, but my like jaw was like out to here. Like it was bad. And so, um, I ended up wrestling Nigel in England and then that's where they started calling it the jawbreaker lariat because, um, after that I had to get my jaw wired shut because it was so bad. And, uh, and then I came back um, and wrestled a little bit more for them. But I like what was happening is they off they started offering guys contracts, right? And they were offering some guys medical insurance. And so they didn't offer that to me. And I was like, and like some of the guys that were getting it hadn't been there as long as I had been, you know what I mean? Right. And like they didn't want to give me a raise and like it, like the contract negotiations were real hard to deal with, you know? And um and so in the contracts like like when I wrestled for TNA, you have in the contract that they guarantee you days. They'll say, "Okay, you're going to guarantee we're going to guarantee you that we'll use you 26 times this year." You know, that's half the year, okay? Well, Ring of Honor gave you no guarantee days. So they they had you under contract but didn't have to use you. You know what I mean? And so uh so then it like then it becomes a problem or whatever. Um but what happened was I came back, I went to Japan, and I came back, and then they took me off five shows. And I was like, What the hell, dude? Like, well also, um, I had, I had back surgery when I was out with my jaw. Um, but then when I came back, uh, so I had an incident right before I broke my jaw, okay? Where I was wrestling Cole Cabana and Ace Steel. And Ace still hit me with a cowbell. And it split my head open, right? Like seven staples worth, okay? But uh, I love Gabe Sapolsky, but at this this night we had a big falling out. So I'm, I'm bleeding out. You know what I mean? Like all this blood's coming out of my gushing out of my head. And like, um, when at the time, like when you would work for ring of honor they, and you flew into a city, they would have like one van for everybody that flew in. Right. Well, that van was being used and I'm bleeding out and I need to go to the hospital. And I'm like, Gabe, I, you know, what am I supposed to do? And he goes, hold on. I got to go watch this other match. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, what, what am I supposed to do about this? You know? Right. And so, it, you know, and this is before Uber and everything else, you know what I mean? And so like, I ended up finding somebody to take me to the hospital. They stapled it shut. Then I broke my jaw. And then I wrestled with it broken for five weeks. I cut the wires off to come back early, right? My second match back, BJ Whitmer um, gives me a powerbomb into the turnbuckle. And then when I bounced off, we hit heads. So then I needed seven uh, stitches across my eye, right? Then I go to Japan. I come back, and I'm wrestling in this four-way, and I wrestle Gran Akuma. He's one of the guys in it. And he forms me in my my ear and ruptures my eardrum, like to where I'm bleeding out my ear, you know. Oh. 
So, so I go into the locker room and I'm and I'm like, yo, can nobody talk to me? Just leave me alone. You know what I mean? Because now I know I have to go to the hospital and I don't have any insurance, you know. And uh, and then Gabe and Carrie Silken came into the room and I kind of blew up on them and asked for my release. And then they gave it to me and, uh, you know, um, both, you know, like both of, uh, like both parties should have cooled off, you know what I mean? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I, like I was done, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I was just getting hurt so much and like, you know, this is my own, that was my only source of income. And so it was just, it was just killing me. Like, um, because I love the company, you know what I'm saying? Like you know, like it was my heart. Like I'd been there, you know, um, for a long time. And, uh, but yeah, I quit. I ended up, um, uh, I ended up getting a call from my agent who's Bill Barons and he was working for WWE at the time. And he was like, well, we, they want to sign you, you know, like, um, so we want you to come to SmackDown on raw in two weeks. And then I, I was like, all right, well, so I started getting ready for that, working out for that. And then um, and then I get another call from Bill about a week later. And he goes, uh, I was in California for Pro Wrestling Gorilla. And he goes, uh, TNA wants to offer you a deal. They'll start you this weekend. You know what I mean? And what they were offering me was more than WWE was going to give me in a week. You know what I'm saying? And right. so, uh, so I ended up just taking that offer. Now, do you know officially, like, who uh, called Bill and was like, "Hey, we were interested in having you come to WWE"? Yeah. So, a couple of years before this, I had done an independent show with, and you know, like they were all these independents were booking me and AJ Styles against each other. And this particular one booked me and AJ Styles and had Vince Russo in his corner as his manager, right? Well, on the plane, I ended up sitting next to Vince Russo. And um, he didn't remember me from all the times I'd been at doing stuff for when they were doing the Wednesday night pay-per-views, right? And so, <clears throat> you know, like he just didn't pay attention to, you know, the guys that weren't signed, you know what I mean? And so, uh, so he watched my match that night and, he, and on the way back, he was like, I want to do something with you. I want to do something with you. I was like, all right, cool. You know, and then he got fired <laughs> that week. Right. And then he started running these, um, religious shows and I ended up helping him with those shows, you know, and then he got his job back at TNA. And then when I was in Japan, he was emailing me he was like i've got an idea for you they wanted me to come in and be part of vkm with uh road dog and billy gunn wow. and i was gonna be and i was gonna be more in like the x-pac role where i would be i'd be the workhorse of the group you know what i mean okay. and then um and then i had to tell him like I, man i've already signed with ring of honor blah 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 and then once they heard that i left ring of honor I'm pretty sure it was him and Terry Taylor that called Bill Barons and was like, yeah, we want to do something. Now, was there any likings from like Road Dog and Billy Gunn who were like, you know, all for it for having you in that group? He so uh 
Billy, uh, Road Dog and I became like real good friends while while I was at TNA. And one night, uh, one day we were sitting in first class and we we're both sitting next to each other. And he goes, "Hey, man, they wanted you here months before, but me and Billy didn't know you, and so we said fuck no." So, like I, like I, and I understand. Like if they don't, if they've never seen me wrestle, you know what I mean? Like I would say that about somebody like joining the embassy too. You know what I mean? Like. Um, just because like you're, you know, like even like with my, my students, you know, like, you know, like that's my seal of approval, you know, they're, they're using my name, you know what I mean? And so like, I, like, I just want, uh, I would be the same way that they were, but no hard feelings, you know? Right. So by the time you get to TNA, um, Obviously, there's a lot of people, some people, but myself, you know, remember you best for your time with Lance Archer, who is known as Lance Rock, and uh, Christy Hemi, known as the Rock and Rave Infection. Uh, whose idea was that to put you guys together and put that gimmick on you? Okay, so remember how I said that they wanted me to come to a pay-per-view? Right. So that pay-per-view, the match that they wanted me in was a tag team battle royal. And I'm like, what? I'm not in a tag team. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's my first night there. And they're like, oh, we're putting you with Lance and Christy. But <clears throat> we we did that. We were a group for, like, three months with no gimmick. You know what I mean? Like, um, And, like, one agent would tell me one thing. Vince Russo would tell me another thing. You know what I mean? And and then the other part of that is like they were using me all the time, but they hadn't signed me to a contract like they said they were. And so I was like, I, you know, we got to f- figure out something or like they can just get rid of me. You know what I mean? And, um, and so I, um, do you remember Simon Diamond? Oh yeah. So Pat, his name's Pat Kenny. He, he's an agent there. And at the time, and uh, and he was really into '80s metal bands and stuff like that. And uh, I saw Jeff Jarrett's kids playing Guitar Hero backstage, and I was like, "Hey, man, like maybe we should do something with this." And he helped me formulate that gimmick, and then we we pitched it to Jeff, and then and then it went off and running. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I asked Chris Harris this question when he was on this show um, about Vince Russo. Now, I'm not sure if you were specifically there at the time when Vince Russo was in TNA during like the early 2000s. I know you made some frequent appearances, but my question for you is, was there a lot of guys in the back that feared that, hey, Vince Russo's here. Now he's doing, you know, some of the bookings here for TNA. Was there a lot of fear or like reminiscing from guys who were in like WCW, like oh shit, here he is about to fuck up another company. Um, not that I knew, you know what I mean? Like, not not that I could tell. Um, because like some of some of those guys are like real close to Vince, you know what I mean? Like, right? You know, um, like Steiner was close to Vince. Um, Jeff is close to Vince, you know what I mean? Like the guys that were sticking around for the most part were close to Vince, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I never got that vibe, you know? And like the, you know, my friends, the guys that I hung out with, 
um, you know, like they would have some issues with some of the stuff that was going on. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like AJ or Joe or Christopher Daniels or, you know what I mean? Like those guys. And then like my, like my, the guys that I hung out with were mainly like the Motor City Machine Guns. P. Williams was my roommate the whole time I was there. Um, Xavier Woods, Jay Lethal, um, Sanjay Dutt, you know, like that was my, my group, you know? And, uh, you know, like that, you know, there would be some things that would happen that, you know, there was one time that they wanted, um, the Motor City Machine Guns to, um, to get color, like to blade themselves for a pre-tape, you know what I mean? Like not even, they're not even going to be in front of fans, you know what I mean? And they're like, no, we're not doing that. You know what I mean? Like, we can put fake blood on our heads. You know what I mean? And like, um, and they got, they got, they got to taken off shows because they said no to that. And like, like that was something that Vince was really adamant about. And, uh, you know, you know, like, um, I, and I could see where they were coming from. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. but, <laughs> But on the on the flip side, there's guys like myself or Petey Williams that would do anything if we're working for a company. We're real company guys, and we're the first ones that they fire. You know what I'm saying? Like we're right. always saying yes, and the, you know we're the first ones let go. Now, back in 2020, before the whole COVID pandemic hit, uh, TNA or Impact, as they're called nowadays. Uh, they were supposed to have like a reunion show called No Place Like Home. Uh, was there any thoughts or was there anybody who was calling you who said, hey, we want you to come back um, to the show just for like one night? No, um, no, I, I talked to PD on a pretty regular basis, but like there's, there was nothing that um, they had called me for. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing like that. Now, when it comes to wrestling, um, do you still keep up with, like, the current product? And is there any guys who uh, seek your interest, like, oh, you know, like, you know, this guy might be big someday, or I see a lot of, you know, yourself in this person? Yeah, I mean, I, I keep up with everything. Like, I watch a lot of independent wrestling. You know, I've, you know, I've got a crop of students that are out there right now that are, you know, like, um... Jordan Oliver is one of my students. Um, he just did that two-hour match um, a couple weeks ago. That's right, yeah. And um, and so I'm watching all of his stuff. There's another kid named Griffin McCoy that's really good. That's uh, one of my students. Um, the girl that's on TNA, Layla Hirsch, she was one of one of my students. You know, and then there's a lot of people that <clears throat> you know, like um, that. I had interactions with like um, the guys with the claim, you know, like, you know, they were always around when I was around and like I would agent their matches or something like that. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of people that I still, um, you know, care about and want to see them do well, you know, like, um, but the, the, yeah, there's a lot of guys that are like, that are popping, like, um, you know, Anthony Henry, and I had like some amazing matches and he just signed with WWE, you know, Priscilla Kelly just signed with WWE and she was in the, uh, the women's dusty roads thing. Yeah. And she was one of my students, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, like the, you know, I still keep up with all of it. And, you know, there's a ton of people that I think are, 
um, you know, like that are real good right now that, you know, that WWE or AEW should pick up real quick. Now, uh, what is your relationship with guys like AJ Styles? Like I said earlier in the show, I mean, you guys traveled up and down the road together, whether it was independent shows, um, for him to finally make it to WWE, you know, full on a full-time basis in 2016, um, you know, what's your relationship like? And, you know, do you see him slowing down anytime soon? Cause he still moves like he's in his twenties. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's one of those things where like, uh, you know, you know, we'll get like a random text here and there and then, you know, but he's busy, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I knew that when, with my relationship with punk, like when, when he was up there, like I, I knew like I would see him when he was in town, if you know they had a minute, you know what I mean. Like, but I know they're busy, and like there's more. There's some guys that I talk to more than others in WWE, like Cedric Alexander. Um, like I was one of his first matches, and like so I keep in close contact with him. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that you know that I keep in contact with, but like you know, guys like or like AJ and Samoa Joe, I know they're doing their thing, and like you know. When they want to reach out, they'll reach out. You know what I'm saying? Like wrestling's like a real, um, like a real culture of, you know, you'll go away for a while and then you'll come back and you'll pick up like right where you left off. You know what I mean? Like, like nothing ever happened. You know? And uh, but yeah, like, you know, like, uh, you know, I lived in Atlanta for you know most of my career, but now I'm in Philadelphia, and so like I run into people more often. You know? I talk to Drew Gulak on a regular basis. Um, I talk to, um, yeah, you know, like there's a lot of these guys that I talk to on a regular basis. Now, you talked about CM Punk. One of my favorite matches with you involving Punk was the Steel Cage match from the Nowhere, Nowhere to Hide, uh, no, uh, what was it? Nowhere to Run event in 2005. Um, and this was like right before Punk had, you know, signed off with WWE. Um, what is it like for, you know, somebody like Punk not wrestling anymore and, you know, all these speculations of people thinking like, oh, you know, the guy's going to return to wrestling after, you know, transitioning into a, you know, mediocre UFC career. Um, do you think he'll ever come back into wrestling and at what cost, you know? Yeah, he's not going to come back. Um, I mean, like, you know, Punk. You know, Punk was super helpful in my career, um, did a lot for me, and we were real close for a long time, you know. And uh, and I remember when he was going through uh, his contract negotiations right before that, you know, that uh, Money in the Bank pay-per-view, and they were in Chicago and everything. And he was like, dude, I'm done. Like, you know, they don't, they don't treat me like a star, you know. And... Um, you know, and like he's somebody that is real stubborn. You know what I mean? Like, right. And and he's also somebody that like if if you, there's no gray area with him, he's real black and white. Like either he's with you or he's not. You know what I mean? And um, luckily, you know, he's always fucked with me. Like we've always been cool. But you know, like once people once he cuts people off, he's you know, um, that's. That's how he goes. I don't see him ever coming back. He, um, he's very 
bullheaded like that. Yeah. And I mean, it's unfortunate too, because you really got to look at the relationship that like him and Cole Cabana had. And then that basically just spiraled out of control. Yeah, that's crazy. I, you know, I never saw that happen. When I first met those guys, they, they really took care of me. Like they saw that I was hustling the same way they were hustling, you know, and like, they took like they took real good care of me, and it was it was always them two together. Like I would stay at both of their houses when we'd be in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like every time we were in Chicago, I would be with them after the show. You know what I mean? Like, um, but you know to see that happen like is real heartbreaking. Right. Um. So you ended up returning to two thousand um Ring of Honor in two thousand nine. Um. After your first stint with TNA. Uh, talk about the matches that you had with somebody like Necro Butcher, because I know you had a dog collar match and his style of wrestling. You know, I wasn't introduced to Necro Butcher till I seen the movie The Wrestler, which I'm pretty sure you're aware of with Mickey Rourke. And, you know, they were going through their match uh, in the bag. You know, oh, what about a staple gun? You know, take it through the nipples and putting dollar bills stapled to the head. Um, what was it like, you know, facing somebody of his caliber with such a, you know, a hardcore style of wrestling? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, keep in mind, like, how I said early in my career, I would take unprotected chair shots, and, like, I, like I'm like i down to do that. Right. Uh, but over the years, I, I got to the point where, like, I would only do that if it's necessary, you know, if it's, you know, part of the storyline or something like that, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so, like, when Necro and I were put together, he, he was somebody that really um that i had fun wrestling with you know what i mean like he uh he would rather hurt himself than his opponent you know you know he he was very um selfless like that and uh you know um it, I, we had fun like uh he, you know he he was a good dude to to be around and uh you know we we um uh, we had him come to uh the 20th anniversary show for CZW and inducted him into the hall of fame. And so I got to reconnect with him last year and, uh, you know, just good, good dude, you know, um, you know, there, there was, you know, I'd rather wrestle necro butcher than Brent Albright any day. You know what I mean? Like, right. So there was guys that were like more difficult to deal with than necro. Now, is there any plans or, you know, rumor of you possibly getting inducted into CZW Hall of Fame? Um, I'm sure it'll happen eventually somewhere, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, um, yeah, you know, but I'm, I'm not, you know, like, I, like, when all this happened, uh, you know, like, I, I knew I was retiring from in-ring work, but, like, I don't want to, you know, stop being around uh, the business, you know, but this has been a lot harder than I thought it would be like emotionally too. like, right. like Jordan wanting, you know, Jordan and um, Griffin both had matches a couple of weeks ago. Like, like when Jordan did that two hour match it was right down the street from my house. And uh, I haven't gotten out of the house yet. You know what I mean? Like I have been too embarrassed to go anywhere. Honestly, and it's just been, you know, dealing with doctors over and over. But, like, I haven't been around people 
you know, except for my girlfriend. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, like I haven't even, you know, like she's taken up, like she's a pro wrestler also, and she's taken over my classes at the school and, you know, everything. Like it's just been super difficult to deal with. And I didn't think it would be that difficult to deal with mentally. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, and just physically, like, I, you know, it's hard to ask people for help. You know what I mean? Like I can't tie shoes anymore. I can't tie drawstrings on my pants anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, some bottles are difficult to, for me to open, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's just been, uh, like a way different than I thought it would be. And so, um, so I haven't even been at shows to even deal with that yet, you know? Right. Um, you know, I still, you know, you know, talk to people every day, you know, like people reach out every day, but, uh, you know, it just, you know, I just haven't gotten to where like, I feel comfortable yet. Now, I, I know uh, before we got all this set up and everything, I, you know, I, I made a contribution into helping you out uh, with hopefully getting a prosthetic arm. Now, when that comes to be, you know, once you get that arm and everything, do you think there can be a slight possibility, not a big chance, but maybe like a slight possibility of maybe saying, hey, one more match, maybe one little run? Because, you know, like I said earlier, you know, you had guys like Zach Gowan who were, you know, in the business with one leg and he even wrestled with the prosthetic leg at, a, you know, a couple occasions. Yeah. I, um... I don't know. Like I take too much pride in my work, you know what I mean? And like, if I can't wrestle the way people remember how I was, I mean, like these last few years, I've, you know, like my, some of my matches have been like really, really good. You know what I mean? Like if you go on YouTube and look at my matches from Atlanta wrestling entertainment, where I'm wrestling Cedric Alexander or Johnny Gargano or Tommaso Ciampa or, David Starr or JT Dunn, like all these guys um, that, um, you know, were the it guys on the indies, you know, before they got signed, or Anthony Henry, for example. Um, you know, I was, you know, like I was, like I was doing my thing, and like I don't want to be um, a shell of my former self, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so I don't, I don't know, man. Like it, it would take a lot of, you know, like me thinking about it and training and stuff like that to figure out if that's what I want to do. Right. Now, uh, before we sign off here, um, was there anything that you wanted to promote? Um, anything that you wanted to advertise? So maybe people like your GoFundMe for the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you um, if you want to, uh, you know, uh, contribute like my GoFundMe is like www.gofundme.com backslash f backslash jimmy ray and um you know the you know the gofundme is like not just for the prosthetic arm but like you know bills are starting to come in from the surgery you know what i mean like and uh you know just tons of stuff going on so uh so yeah if you can contribute that's awesome i hate asking for help like it's, it sucks but uh I'm in like a like a weird position right now, and so, um, so yeah. If you uh, if you can help out, that'd be awesome. Well, man, I, I hope everything turns out great for you. I mean, you look to be in good spirit. 
I mean, despite your condition. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. Jimmy, I want to thank you for tuning in and coming in as a guest. Um, be sure to check us out on all social media platforms. You can check it out. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, all streaming platforms. And be sure to hit that little bell notification on YouTube so that way you get all our episodes that are uploaded. Until next time, guys. This has been your host, Danny Beast 94. Until next time, I am not.